Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. We're proud to say that BetDSI have rejoined us once again as one of our keynote sponsors on Three Yards Per Carry. We welcome them and we welcome you to join up with them. The NFL season obviously kicks off at the weekend. The college football season has just got underway, but it's not just limited to football. The baseball playoffs are coming. Uh, There are a myriad of other sports out there that you could bet on. There's entertainment things, there's politics things at BetDSI.com. They have a great app. I've used it myself. I know the boys have used it too. They have a great mobile interface. And you know, this year, you can get 101% match bonus on your first deposit of up to $1,000. That's 101% match bonus on your first deposit of up to $1,000. Use the code YARDS101. As always, YARDS101. Bet DSI for all of your betting needs and other ones that you probably didn't even know existed. YARDS101 with Bet DSI. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to another edition of Three Yards Per Carry. I'm Alfredo Artiaga. I have Simon Clancy here. I have Chris Kaufman here. Well, one of us spent the afternoon talking to somebody really, really interesting. And it wasn't me because the only guy I talked to this afternoon was Ethan Skolnick. And it wasn't all that interesting. I spent the afternoon talking to you so, yeah. on WhatsApp. So, so that leaves one guy left. Simon, did you talk to anybody of note this afternoon? Yeah, I spoke to Justin Herbert. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, Fuck I didn't. Off. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I interviewed uh, Tua Tungavaila. Uh, it's been an interview that we've been working on for a couple of years, actually, um, through the magazine that I write for over here in the UK, Gridiron, uh, which is the biggest uh, football magazine in the UK. Um, <clears throat> and we were supposed to go to Tuscaloosa and see him. But Alabama are fantastic. They've always been very, very good. I mean, they're just great, actually, generally, um, in terms of their press and PR people. Um, and over the years, I've spoken to... I've spoken to Jalen. I've spoken to Jonah Williams last year. Christian Miller, one of the nicest people I think I've ever spoken to. Um, and they knew we wanted to speak to Tua. And finally, the call came through 48 hours ago to say, um, you've got sort of 12 minutes, 15 minutes with him um, on Wednesday evening or afternoon uh, over there. So um, uh, phoned up and spoke to the press officer and he was just finishing up his lunch and the phone rang and I, I was expecting it to be the press officer and it was Tua. Um, which was kind of odd because you normally get the press officer phoning you back and then them putting you through. And that, that often happens with, um, with, with pro teams as well. And weirdly, actually, 
sometimes if you go through the agent rather than the team, the agents will sort of connect you via their own mobile to the player, which is, can be quite weird because the agent can be in California and the player can be in Texas or whatever, which is quite mm. weird. But no, Tua phoned, phoned me back um, and we had a good chat. And um, he's uh, everything you'd expect him to be. He's fun. He's interesting. He's funny. Um, and clearly very passionate about football, um, uh, which was which, which was good to good to talk to him really it was good to you know and it, uh, obviously the money questions you know I've been doing journalism for a long time the money questions are obviously the NFL stuff yeah. the difficulty is that you don't obviously don't want to break the relationship with Alabama because Alabama only want you to talk about Alabama and I totally get that um, and they don't want you to pile in with a load of NFL questions which they've specifically said look you know let's let's keep it to what it is because i know that you know there's a quid pro quo to these relationships you want to continue yeah. to be able to to interview people i'm not paul feinbaum i'm not you know I, and i don't mm. ever want to be that's not what i'm doing <laughs> it for. no but you know what i mean i'm not you yes. know that i'm not a part of the alabama press corps um and i don't need to push to on those sorts of things because ultimately that's not what it was about ultimately this is for about a lot, another long form piece on him ahead of the draft uh, next year, if and when when he declares. So that's the point of the interview. Um, I didn't want to sit there and uh, and reel off five or six draft related questions because I I know that the, the guys at, at Alabama would have just because they listened across the call and they'd have been like Simon, honestly, we've got to pack this in now. Thanks very much indeed. Goodbye, and you you lose everything. Um, mm-hmm. So we talked ten or twelve minutes about Bama and stuff, um, and then at the end, just went into the sort of the tanking question really because I thought that's you know that's the way of getting into it you know you can't not if you can't living under a rock if you haven't heard of you know tanking for two so I just thought that was the easiest way to get into the NFL stuff because it's not saying hey man are you declaring or do you think you're going to pull an Eli Manning or a John Elway when he gets to the next level or or hey Um, here wear this (laughs) t-shirt yeah exactly would you would you be inclined to wear the number 13 if you were drafted by the Miami Dolphins and what pressure would that bring knowing that that was worn by Dan Marino beforehand that that that, again Josh Josh the press officer and uh, and Alex that they would just come on the line and and shut it down and you know what when I wanted to talk to Alex Leatherwood or if I want to talk to Nick Saban or whoever they will just say you know what you burned us the last time it's not going to happen so you know that's the kind of the slight quid pro quo that you have I don't need to be breaking news that's not what the interview is for but you know he was very very interesting and you know I, I'm sure in a minute we'll play some of the a little bit a little bit of the audio and, and over the coming weeks we'll play more um but you know I, I, I we, we talked about old Miss this weekend just in terms of preparation he was talking about what they were doing he said they spent the day doing red zone and third down stuff and you know pretty much everything is is now sold in in terms of the game plan the next couple of days is just you know um, refining that down uh, and, I, and I asked him how much individual film work he does and he was like man you know this is what I have to do to survive every week I have to spend hours and hours and hours of my free time watching film he said i'm currently you know in the evenings i've been watching the last two seasons of colorado uh, the new defensive coordinator at old miss is the former defensive coordinator of the buffaloes mm. um, and he said that's what i've been doing every evening i'm looking at tendencies i'm watching third downs i'm looking at all these different aspects of what happens coverage is being rolled over on certain certain downs and distances and uh, uh, you know rushes where they're coming from those sorts of things marrying that up with what i've seen on tape of the first four old miss games and asked him whether or not he liked film study he said you yeah, that's where he makes his bread and butter he said i could not be the quarterback i am or the quarterback that i aspire to be if i was not 
absolutely diligently reviewing tape over and over and over again because he said I just and he sort of laughed he's just like I, I could not understand a, a player and certainly you're not a player in my position as a quarterback who could um, who could uh, do the job that I want to do proficiently without spending hours and hours watching tape which is good to hear it's good to know that already he has that you know he has that uh, inside him we, we, we talked a bit about you know look the improvements that he's made. And if you watch his game from last year, you watch his game from this year, there are a number of areas with which he's progressed. And I think the number one area which he's progressed in, and it was a thing that Nick Saban talked about after the defeat to to Clemson was that he has to, you you never go broke taking a profit. He has to be aware of check downs a little bit more. He can't be Mm -hmm. Superman on every single play. And I think that was the accusation last year was that, you know, and he did try a little bit and, uh, you know, he got injured in the end and he was still trying to make plays even though he was injured. Um, whereas this year, you know, he's just been not looking for the deep ball every time, not looking for the killer touchdown, not looking for the for the jugular at all times. And he says, you know, what I'm doing now is uh, compared to what I was doing last season is that I wasn't doing last season is that I'm uh, I'm my second progression. I'm at my third progression. I'm at my fourth progression. He said last season I found myself thinking. Uh, I'm one prog- one progression, one read, uh, and I'm standing there in the pocket thinking, "Come on, get open, get open, get open, get open." He said, "Now I'm not I'm not doing that. I don't need to do that because I don't need to be looking for the deep. I don't need to throw every every throw does not have to be a touchdown." He said, "I'm more than happy taking that check down because I know that we're going to continue to keep the ball. We're not going to turn the ball over, and we're going to make yards." And he said, "That's you know that's really where you know the go for broke mentality. I don't need it on every down." So that was interesting to hear and. You know, it, he it, it was very interesting. I'll talk some more, I'm sure, as we go through about some of the other uh, other things he said. Yeah, and he seems to be playing with a, a great level of trust this year mm. that, that I haven't seen before. And I think I spoke about this this stat the other day. He has 18 touchdowns and 25 incompletions. Mm. Okay. Yeah, it's remarkable, isn't it? I mean, so, Nick Saban says he's a lot more confident. And I said to him, look, are you, is that the case? Are you more confident? And he said, yes and no. He said, no, because I still know that I've got another level or two that I can get to. But yes, it's the second year as me starting. I, I I am now the, you know, this is my offense, but I've got to, you know, I've got to continue to progress. We have got to continue to progress. It's no good saying that I've got Jalen Waddle and, and Devonta Smith and Najee Harris and Miller Forrestal and Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs and all these guys. If I, you know, if I can't deliver, if I can't get them the ball, that's, you know, what, what's the point? So, yes, I'm much more confident in my own skin as, a, as the Alabama starting quarterback, but there's still, you know, room for improvement that I, I, I've got to get to. And then I picked up on that and I said to him, look, what's, I said, because there are people out there, critics out there that say that, you know, you have it easy because you're throwing to Ruggs and Smith and mm-hmm. Judy and all these guys. Do you, even hear that stuff and if you do what do you think about it he's like yeah I, I, I do hear it he said they're 100% right and I was really taken aback by that and he said no no and I, and I sort of questioned it and he said no no I, they are 100% right this is what I I have for me he said it is easier for me because I am you know I still have to do what I have to do I still have to hit these guys in stride I still have to do all the little bits the footwork the pocket manipulate all those sorts of things but not every quarterback in the country has the benefit of of throwing and working with these guys every day. And he said, look, I also have the fastest receiving core in the nation. These are not six foot four, six foot five, six foot six guys. The, these passes have to be, timing has to be perfect. Accuracy has to be perfect. He said, because these are not guys who are going to jump up. At, at, if I'm going to throw inaccurately, these are not guys who are going to be able to bail me out and rescue me. 
he said, so yes, while it's beneficial to me to have these brilliant players, I then need to deliver to them in a way with which they are able to make plays. Because if I'm not, then, you know, I'm throwing over their heads and I'm throwing interceptions and I'm throwing behind them. And he said, because, you know, try throwing to a guy like Jerry Judy, who's going to run a 4-2 at the combine or a 4-3 at the combine and, and see what happens. He said, it, it, it's not as easy as you, as you think. But I was very interested by that answer. And you've had some contact with his with his family, right? Um, yeah, I did a piece a couple of years ago. Um, <clears throat> in fact, sort of within the week of, um, of the national championship game two years ago when they beat Georgia, um, and uh, spoke to a number of people back in the islands, family members, uh, June Jones, um, people that grew up and played with him and that sort of thing, um, just to dig into his background and just find out. Because, you know, we all knew who he was, but it was just, you know, finding out a bit more... And, and football's different to, to the tongue of Ilo. Is it, the background is different. And, you know, I've tried to explain this a couple of times on social media. People say, well, what do you mean by that? Tour isn't obsessed by money. Money and fame and those things aren't important to the, to the tongue of Ilo family. What is important, I mean, the two biggest things are, are religion and trust and religion and hard work. And, you know, Tua's father, you know, I don't know if... You, you know, younger listeners might not remember, but you know, certainly older ones will remember Marv and Todd Marinovich. Todd Marinovich was the quarterback at USC who was essentially groomed by his father from sort of two years old to become an NFL quarterback. And he, and Marv worked him ridiculously hard, press ups, sit ups, lifting weights. Yes. And there's very famous footage. I think they made a 30 for 30 about it actually. There's, there's very famous footage of him doing these sorts of things. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and then Todd went to USC um, and he performed pretty well and the Raiders took him in the first round and then he absolutely he flamed out and he just essentially th this entire life that his father had built for him just overcame everything and he took up drugs and he he flamed out of the NFL um, and he had all sorts of problems I think he ended up living on the street for a little while he's now an artist I think living in, in Los Angeles but um, it, it did remind me a little bit in terms of the way that his father is uh, and you know to a almost went to USC. First of all, he was going to go to UCLA, then he was going to mm -hmm. USC. Um, and then he ended up getting the offer from Alabama. And, and he said in the past that, you know, his father makes the decisions. His father was the one that chose whether or not he went to, to Alabama. Um, but he is a ridiculously hardworking kid. He is very, very driven. And his father is the one that drives him. But family, um, or Ahana, as, uh, as they refer to it in the islands, Ahana is the thing that is the most important thing. It is the thing where they sit around in the evenings and, and, and Tua will play the guitar and, and the family will sing. And, and obviously people know that Tua's family moved from Hawaii to Tuscaloosa so that they could be close, first of all, to Tua and then to, to Brother Talia, who's also a, a backup quarterback at, the, at Alabama. So, yeah, and, you know, June Jones talked about his growth, watching him come up at St. Louis High School in in Hawaii. He's obviously very close with Marcus Mariota, another, another Islander. But he has been the anointed one on the islands for as long as you can remember, you know, since he was 11 years old. That, so he carries the weight of Hawaii, not just of, you know, of Alabama football, but uh, of Hawaii. But it, uh, as he said to me, it's something that he, he understands. That's just his responsibility. That's one of the things that he has to take on board as, you know, a sort of a, a son of the islands. I have a question though. I mean, you, you mentioned because you talk about his father and, and how, um, how big he is in his life and his decision-making. Mm. And it's not the first time that I've heard, um, that I've heard that uh, to his father calls, calls a lot of the shots and, um, and is the decision maker there. 
Uh, is this a concern to you? I mean, because this is a question that I, I see on social media, message boards, what have you, all over the place. And it's, uh, it's something that, you know, rhymes a bit with, um, with some, of the, uh, some of the other concerns that we've seen in the past with other quarterbacks and, and various helicopter parents and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Now, for myself, looking at it, I, you know, yeah, I've heard con- helicopter parent concerns um, in, in college. I've yet to see a helicopter parent problem in the NFL mm. as these guys grow into adulthood and become men and actually become professionals and able and paid, which unlike college, and be able to hire people that work on their behalf, like agents and whatnot. Yeah. But I mean, is this is this a unique situation where you know maybe it is a concern? I mean, you you brought up Todd Marinovich's dad, and that's not mm. a that's not a you know that's not a a, a positive image for a lot of people out there. No, hundred percent. And I, but what I think, and I, yeah, I've spoken to. <clears throat> excuse me. I think I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. Um, I've spoken to a, a contact within the Alabama football program who says that that Tua's family are incredibly close and are a great support network. And certainly, you know, for example, when Tua throws an interception, dad is very dad is hard on him. Do you know what I mean? That that mm-hmm. you know evaluation from dad is more important than anything in Tua's life. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, if he throws a pick, Mm. they go home and really, they're very self-critical about how it was thrown and and that sort of thing. But I also know that the line is drawn very much at the door, as it were, that whenever Tua steps onto the campus, whenever he steps into the football program, whenever he steps onto the field, he is the property, in inverted commas, of Alabama. He is the property, in inverted commas, of Nick Saban. He is not, you know, if Tua was going to be benched, so, so you know, benched against Georgia in the in the SEC Championship game last year, in part because of injury that, you know, he could not set his feet in the pocket. That, that knee injury was causing him, you know, all sorts of issues. And, we, you know, we'd seen him on the sort of the, we saw him on the scooter, didn't we, at the, at, mm-hmm. at the Heisman Trophy Award because he couldn't, you know, he couldn't walk on it. Um, he said that, look, this is, that that is what happened. That Tua's family are not phoning up Nick Saban and going, "Why did you bench our son in the in the SEC championship game?" That that just doesn't happen, you know. So I think there is a I think there might be some reticence from NFL scouts, um, sort of reading between the lines in terms of okay, just how much influence do the? But I don't think it should necessarily. Uh, I've certainly not been told that it's viewed upon as a bad thing. It is parents caring very much for their son and wanting the best for their son, but understanding that there is piling too much pressure on him, being too Marv Marinovich will only have a detrimental effect and that's never played out. And I think, I also think that that's all that's two has ever known is that kind of, you know, don't, don't, I don't think you should take the family wrong. It's a very loving, very warm environment. I don't think it's anything other than that. And I'm not saying Marv Marinovich was any, any different, but I just think the two environments are slightly different. And I, you know, I think that helicoptering, I don't, I've been told is not on the agenda of, 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 um, of the tongue of Isla family. Yeah. And that's one thing about Marv Marinovich that people forget. Uh, Marv Marinovich used to train other athletes. Yeah, absolutely. He had it in his head that he knew or, had as much authority as anybody else in Todd Marinovich's career as his coaches, as his agent, as the owner of the football team that he played for, uh, which was the Oakland Raiders. So I don't think it's that case here. 
now let's get to the the news making portion of the of the program mm. we have a clip and you could set up the question how you asked it but it was instructive what Tua Tungabailoa actually said to your question so go ahead to yes so I said to him look you know we got to the sort of the back end of the interview and I uh, uh, and I asked him look uh, and as I said earlier I, I, I didn't want to just bail him with so are you going to the NFL because you know that's just not what you do. So I just asked him whether or not he got... Uh, the, the previous question was was essentially um, how difficult it was to shut the noise out, first of all, which he answered. Yeah, he talks about... It. He said, I don't... If somebody wants a photograph, just come and ask me for a photograph. I'll, I'll do... I'll sign whatever you want. I'll take whatever photo. He said, when I'm out for dinner with my family and people are like getting their iPhones out and sort of turn... And I can see them sort of turning it and sneak. I, I kind of go over and say... Just, just ask me. It's fine. And so he said, "There's no pressure." He said, I, I, "And I've created a sort of a boundary for, for everybody else that you know, and I can just live a, a fairly normal life." Um, and then I said, "So are you?" And I asked, "What's it like just to be tour?" And he was like, "I'm just like everybody else. It's just the, the kid I am." And I said, "You must be aware of the tanking for tour phenomenon. Um, you know, how does you know you, could, you must be living if you know if you haven't heard it, you're living under a rock. What?" you know, what, um, what impact has that had on you? And that's ultimately what I said. And here's his answer. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've, I've heard of it, um, especially from my teammates. Um, a lot of my teammates love to joke about it, <laughs> but um, I mean, it's something that, that I, I'm not as much worried about, you know, right now. I mean, we still got what about 10, 10 more games or so to play and so it's it's a long season and so we can only focus on uh the things that we we got to do now you know and you know when that time comes then we'll end up worrying about that later but i i ain't too focused about all of that right now so that was Tua Tungavalo speaking to me earlier on um and, and i think for me the most in- interesting thing is when he said, you know, I love the fact that he said that his teammates joke around with him about it. But then he got serious and said, you know, I can't focus on that. I've still got 10 games left. Now, mm. does that mean I've still got 10 games left at Alabama before I concentrate on tank, the, the tanking thing? Or that's that's kind of where I was. Or what, <laughs> or I've got where 10, I would go. That's what I heard. Well, that's me. That's exactly what I heard too. Yeah, or did he say, tend- I've, got, I've got 10 games left this season? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for me, and just listening to the way he said it as well, the way it's framed, the way it's couched, the only thing I heard was, I've got 10 games left at Alabama. And at that point, when I'm I declare for the draft... in Weston. Yeah, when I, de- <laughs> when I declare for the draft, then I can focus on that sort of thing. But at that point, but until that point, I have to shut the noise out. I did not, I did not in any part of that think what I mean is I've got 10 games left this season and then I've got another season. That to me, and you know, look, we, we, we all speak to people. I've been told, I've been told by somebody within the program that everybody believes that he's leaving. And in fact, I was contacted by a journalist from Alabama this evening who'd heard the clip and said, you know, again, I, and actually he said, I'm not hundred percent sure that this means he's leaving. And I said, look, the, the intimation I got from the interview was that he was definitely, it was 10 games and then done. And he said, Oh, look, don't get me wrong. We all think he's leaving too but my personal opinion is i'm not 100 percent sure that's what he meant so you know it's certainly open to interpretation i certainly wouldn't want to put words into his mouth but mm. you know for, for me as a journalist that's that's the thing that i took away from it that's the that's the feeling i got but people at alabama think he's leaving after this year and people at alabama yeah 
definitely believe that they're they're prepared for that and you brought up an interesting i think you you brought up the interesting i did about talia (laughs) and talia and his brother um and how if he stayed in in alabama and family are so important to him he would actually be a little bit he'd be standing in his brother's yeah. way a little bit. 100%. 100%. Talia obviously third the court over. Yeah, you can make the yeah. case that he would have to transfer because he's currently third team. Absolutely. Well, and you you know, 48 hours ago, the, 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 the news around high school football was that Alabama flipped the number one quarterback prospect in, in the country, the, the made-to-die quarterback from the Santa Ana quarterback, uh, Bryce Young, who'd committed to you. It was a firm commitment to USC. All of a sudden flipped to, to Alabama, took a, mm. took a visit to Alabama last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden, um, you know, he is now going to Alabama. He's thrown 1,500 yards, 14 touchdowns, one pick, 75% completion rate this season, uh, including 538 yards and seven touchdowns against the, the number two team in the nation. Uh, last week he is the you know he is the next potentially the next anointed thing um and he is now going to alabama and so there is a strong possibility that bryce young would jump over talia tungavailoa you know if if tour was to stay an extra year um and i just don't think that's the i don't yeah. think that's the case i think that tour goes as a junior I think that the backup steps up and, and plays either his year or his two years. And then Talia, I, I think it would be the backup and then would, would hopefully get to play at least one year. Uh, and depending on how he can, you know, because the possibilities of, of redshirt and Bryce Young would be, would be fairly significant. We know that Nick Saban always likes to bring in at least one quarterback every year. Um, mm. But you, I can't imagine the Tungavailoa family seeing Taulia just sort of hanging around as a bit of an enigma and not playing because of Tua holding up his progression. You know, Tua's, Tua's got nothing else to prove. He's got nothing else, yeah. you know. Winning individual, tra- you know, he didn't say this to me because I didn't get time to ask him the question, but I, I saw him with an interview with Kirk Herbstreet. Winning the Heisman Trophy is immaterial to Tua. It's lovely, but it's, a, it's an award for his teammates. It's not an award for him, so therefore he pays it no, you know, no never mind, as it were. He... That's not what his his future plan is. I am not desperate to win the Heisman Trophy. He wants to win another national championship, but he already has national championship. So, you know, if he ends up losing, let's say to Oklahoma or to Clemson or to Ohio State this year, I don't think he's going to be defined by that not having won one. He's already won one. That, to me, on top of everything else, would lead me to believe that he will declare for the draft. But considering their value system, and you've had contact with the family, you've had contact with Tua, I mean, considering their value system and what's important to them, the last thing on their mind, the last factor in the decision on whether to stay is going to be the the running joke that everybody says about the Dolphins, which is the Dolphins are so bad that Tua is going to go back to school just to avoid Mm -hmm. them, right? I mean, that's Mm -hmm. not, that's not even going to be, that's not even going to be a consideration for them it's going to be talia it's going to be the family it's going to be you know to his plans and you know it's not gonna and and maybe and i guess it needs to be said graduation um because i know that Tua, i know that Tua went early to he alabama was a, so he told me he is an early qualifier uh and he is on course to graduate early well, there you have it. So that's the that's that is news um because i i hadn't seen that uh of, you know actually 
actually said anywhere uh, with certainty. And, and that's a big deal because I know that the fa family are very big on graduation. And, yeah. and you've told me that before. I mean, and, what you find now is that uh, an awful lot of the high grade, um, the high grade high school quarterbacks uh, enroll early. So I know that Trevor Lawrence, for example, I mean, mm -hmm. I went to see Trevor Lawrence in October of 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, he had two games left at Cartersville, two regular season games and then the playoffs. So, but he was already doing Clemson courses at the junior high school, at the junior college uh, in the city of Cartersville. So he was already, he was doing his, he was doing part um, Cartersville high school classes and part Clemson classes as part of his early enrollment. So, the same happened with Tua, and I think generally that's what happens now. With uh, I certainly know that DJ Ugalele, the the ridiculously talented quarterback who will be the um, who will take over from Trevor Lawrence when he graduates, he was an early qualifier as well, um, and, and I think that's generally becoming the norm. And one of the interesting things, actually, that uh, just in doing the research, I'd forgotten about. You know, I remember when I spoke to the family initially for the for the piece, was that Tua is right-handed. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah, I've, no, heard, I've heard of this before as well. Everything that he does is he eats with his right hand, he writes with his right hand. But when he was very young, so Gallo, who is his father, is the only left-handed person in the family. And so he wanted to be able to pass that. He wanted some sort of left-handedness to be able to pass through the, <laughs> through the family. So he taught him to throw with his left hand, but Tua does everything else with his right hand. He is entirely ambidextrous when it comes to that but actually do you think he could throw with us right i'm pretty sure he could i didn't ask him actually but hopefully if i speak to him again um I'm <laughs> that's a trick play waiting anymore, to happen but by april we're gonna have him throwing both ways and i mean if he's right-handed surely he must be able to throw with his right hand yeah i i can't i, mean, I can't imagine throw. he wouldn't be able to yeah if he's ambidextrous enough to just all to just learn to throw left-handed Exactly. Uh, even though he's right hand. Now, to our um, listeners, let, let me say that I know we only gave you a little snippet of this interview, but we did give you a lot of background on it. And in the coming weeks, you will get a lot of sound as we clear it from Gridiron. And you can get, yeah. get their stuff on Twitter at Gridiron. Simon, tell them how they could get to the website or even subscribe to the magazine. Uh, so the magazine comes out in a magazine form or you can order it as uh, an online thing. I, I mean, I'm 45 and I don't get online things, but it, the magazine essentially comes to you in a downloadable online uh, package, as it were. I would just try and find the website address, so talk about yourself. But essentially, yeah, and, and I think the audio will go first out on their podcast, um, which, uh, and then we'll be able to use it and you'll hear all of it here. So it, I think it is www.gridiron.com hyphen magazine.com so www.gridironmagazine.com and actually you'll be able to find um other interviews and stuff that we i think the original interview that i did with tour yeah so it's www.gridironmagazine.com um you can subscribe and stuff in there but you'll be able to find some of the interviews that i've done in the past and the other stuff that the guys have done um, i mean we've been running 45 50 50 editions comes out every month so yeah uh, pick it up it's really well, good now that you broke some news i'm going to break some news are you pregnant no i hope not jesus <laughs> water's breaking <laughs> why would you wish that on me but sometime in the last two weeks it was broken unintentionally by the raiders website that the draft 
And this is kind of instructive to to what we're talking about today because this is where Tua Tagovailoa will hopefully be handed a Miami Dolphins jersey. No, a Tua a Tua a Tua jersey, a Tagovailoa jersey shirt. That's what yeah. we're going to hand him. Well, I'm going to run up on stage and hand it to him so there to go. make sure that at least he has that. But it was broken inadvertently by the Raiders this week that they had moved the site because originally everybody thought they were going to do it on the the Raiders stadium or maybe at the Thomas and Mack Center or the MGM Grand Arena. But no, it's going to be actually right on the strip. But nobody knew where on the strip. Until today, since, and somebody must have picked up on it besides me, but I have alerts on all the different hotel rooms and in Las Vegas. And only two hotels had spikes of 300% as far as the rates. And that's the Bellagio and the Caesars Palace. So that means that Tuatungabailoa might be handed his Miami Dolphins jersey in front of the beautiful fountains at the Bellagio, and we'll be there. Yeah, we we will be there, and we'll be we'll be handing out our um, our Tangavailoa shirts. We should we should do that door to door. Like we should just go around like, excuse me, ma'am, this morning, would you like to uh, talk about Tuatungabailoa and the salvation of the Miami Dolphins? <laughs> yeah, just, pretty much. People are going to accuse us of. of really touting this kid but trust me he's worth it guys i tell you if he falls if he falls flat on his ass we're gonna die yeah (laughs) (laughs) justin herbert's a hall of famer yeah let's see how funny would that be right um in all seriousness though isn't it cool i've got to say that i was sat here with my with my other half uh, the weekend and i was showing her the tweets that that you guys as listeners were sending in from dallas and well all around america but certainly you know we saw three or four guys and girls who were um either outside or inside AT&T Stadium in the Tua t-shirts, which I have to say I thought was pretty cool. I mean, you know, I know it's only a t-shirt and I know we're kind of, you know, we're pimping it out and you're buying it and we're, we're hugely appreciative of it. But even so, it, it is, even my, even my, uh, even my partner was like, that, that, God, that's, that, that's pretty cool. You guys are knobs, but that's pretty cool. <laughs> so, it was, uh, <laughs> Olaf is going to wear it. Olaf is going to wear it. Josh Gad is going to wear it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, no, it's all good. I mean, I should have, you know, I kept, I, I messaged my missus today to say I was doing the interview, you know, I was about to do the interview. And she just replied, don't full stop, tell full stop, him full stop, about full stop, the full stop, t shirt full stop. <laughs> I was like, I won't. I won't. Yeah, we won't. But as soon as, as Tua Tangavailoa hoists right. the national championship trophy, Right, exactly. On national television, or not, of course, he'll have a shirt. He will have a shirt handed to him, and I am guaranteeing. You got to save the surprise. Yeah. Okay, you a surprise. I'm guaranteeing it, it ladies That's and gentlemen. Beautiful. That's okay. wonderful. All right. Well, that brings us. Since we're going to stop talking, you know, the future quarterback of the Miami Dolphins, we're going to talk about. Well, I don't want to talk about the current quarterback of the Miami Dolphins, but they do play a game on Sunday. Simon, one of us last week was. Pretty damn close because one of us predicted 31-7 and the final score was 31-6. That guy is going to attempt to try to nail the score once again. And it wasn't you. But it was just <laughs> it score definitely anyway. wasn't me. Um, I am going uh, LA Chargers. LA Chargers. I mean, the Chargers have got quite a lot of injuries, haven't they? Yes. 
Um, I'm no going at... to speak of as of right now. Melvin Gordon's oh, back, but Melvin he's not going to play back. in this game. He's not yeah. going to play in this game, though. So yeah. Although you know, Austin Eckler and, and Jackson are pretty decent. Yeah, they've I'm been doing well. Go, yeah, Eckler especially. I'm going to go. Uh, LA Chargers 34, Miami Dolphins 10. Mm, okay. That that's that sounds like I, what I wanted to say. I think look, I think the Miami Dolphins are going to play probably their best game of the year, and it's going to be because. The Chargers do have so many injuries. So not because Miami did anything good. (laughs) But of course it won't be enough. And I'll have the Chargers. I'll have the Chargers 31, Miami 13. Mm. Chris? All right. Well, I I note that the the Chargers did have some trouble offensively against the Detroit Lions, a very similar defense as uh, as what Miami is running. So I too think that Miami could play the best game of the year. So I'm going to go with uh 25 to 7. All right. Very briefly before we get out of here because other people ask about the other teams that could potentially cause us harm in the race. Giants have got a win against Washington who haven't got a win yet. Do we see Washington winning that one? Oh god. The Giants versus Washington? Yeah. No, nah, Daniel Jones is going to smoke them. I I'm, I'm I'm really 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 afraid of the Redskins. Really, yeah. Thank God they've got two games against each other. Like they yeah, can hand absolutely. each other. I wins. think they need a spark. I need. I think that we need Dwayne Haskins to get in there and give them a spark and hopefully a couple of wins, and mm-hmm. one uh, against us for sure. The Broncos host Gardner Minshew's Jacksonville Jaguars without Jalen Ramsey. I mean, the Broncos. You saw them, Chris, live at the weekend. The Broncos. Yeah. Unlucky. Uh, well, I mean, uh, more than unlucky to lose the first game against the Bears. I mean, essentially. The mm-hmm. erroneous added one second at the end of the game, and then that, that horrendous um, roughing the passer call on Brad, Bradley Chubb and on that final drive. Um, otherwise, they'd have beaten the NFC North champion Bears. And then you obviously saw them against a really good Green Bay team and lost yeah. by just one touchdown on the road. Well, it was a very close game the whole time, yeah. and it, it it opened up like toward the end just a tad bit. But yeah, it, it was competitive right to the end. Broncos um, beat Jaguars at home. Yeah, I, actually, I do. Uh, I think we're we're it's it's lucky, a little bit uh, nice that the Jags got their got a win out of the way. Um, but right now, I think the Broncos are going to get their first win against them because they are they are pretty. I mean, pretty tough. It's sloppy game, even against a good team. They no nobody comes away clean against them. I don't think. Yes, I, I've analyzed this every six ways to Sunday, and I really only fear the Redskins. Some people are telling me, well, the, you know, what if Adam Gase? You don't think that Adam Gase is going to want to really, really embarrass us by the time he plays us, and he will have Sam Darnold by then? Remember what he did to the Denver Broncos? I think he's going to really want to possibly run up the score on us if he can so I don't fear the Jets. It's a good bye week for the Jets as well because yeah, hopefully yeah. they get Darnold back to I the Eagles I do game. fear – the Washington Redskins, because who knows what dark forces may be lurking in that building. And what I could if, see Jay Gruden being fired midway through the season and I, know, getting a bit and, of a boost. And what I if, could see Adam Gaze being fired before he well, even yeah. gets to face us. Yeah, but what 100%. if Daniel Snyder decides, hmm, there's this quarterback out there, mm-hmm. you know? Maybe Aside from the one that he just took in the first round this year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but who knows? Maybe he's failing by then. So the other, the other game, they scared the other game. The other game is Cincinnati against the Steelers, and I I kind of feel our listeners are are more in tune with what's happening with Washington, the Giants, Cincinnati, Denver than they are with what happens with Miami in in many ways. Bengals on the road against the Steelers. Sure thing. 
Mason Rudolph had one pass over more than two yards uh, <laughs> against uh, in, in the win in the defeat to the Forty ers at the weekend, which was some. And they just tra- they just traded for for Vanit t- another tight end. They did fifth yeah. rounder. They gave up for. Thank as well. you, so, Pittsburgh. Exactly. Whereas Pitt, whereas whereas Cincinnati, you know, lost by a point late on on the road against Seattle, and then were driving to win the game um, until Tre'Davious White picked off Andy Dalton at the seven yard line with mm. thirty seconds to go when the Bengals were driving to take the lead. So again on the road. So and the three and zero Buffalo Bills roll on. <laughs> I know, yeah. right? Absolutely. Well, the here's the Bengals thing about, about, about yeah. Here's the thing about the, the the Bengals. Uh, help is on the way. AJ Green is coming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, but that's not going to be for a while. The the right. the signs aren't very great there. I think. Man, I just don't see the I just don't see the Bengals going winless. Now, who cares about no, the, the, the Steelers? Because we I got two pick. predictions actually. But I don't think we can lose in this game. I think this is a game we just sit back and enjoy, and whatever result, we got to be happy with it. No. Well, I, I got two predictions for this. Uh, one that after this weekend, we will own two of the three picks of teams that have that are winless. Uh, there will be then we three. Work on the there are three. There are three teams winless, but but the top two on Tankathon will be our two picks. Will be Amazing. the Miami and Pittsburgh picks because the Jets have a bye week and they'll be zero and three, and they won't be zero and four. So we'll have the top two picks in, on Tankathon after this weekend. And the second prediction is the value of the Pittsburgh pick is going to be more value. And if you go by the chart and all, all that, is going to be more valuable than what we end up getting from the Texans mm. for Laramie Tonsil. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I am not concerned in any way about the Jets regardless. But, and shall I tell you why? Because well, why? from week nine onwards, this is the Jets schedule. Dolphins, Giants, Washington, Raiders, Bengals, Dolphins. I mean, that is a pretty decent six-week span. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not going to the lose. Steelers. <laughs> and they play the Steelers in week 16. So mm-hmm. they play the Ravens week 16. Steelers week, you know, there's, there's four or five wins there for, 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 the, for the – especially when they get Donald back and they get – I don't know about four back. or five, but certainly more than ours. Well, yeah. Three, definitely. Now, let me anyway. ask you one thing. Let me, let me ask you one thing as, as we're on the way out here. If the Dolphins do end up with the first overall pick and the second overall pick, what is Chris Greer going to do with himself? Trade. <laughs> I think he trades. Like we got to rob think, somebody. With we'll trade one of the second pick, right? I, yeah, wouldn't surprise me if he traded the second pick. Because I yeah. can't think that you would take Andrew Thomas – if you've just traded for all that he said about the reasons why he traded Larry Tanzo, apart from the size of the deal, mm. you know, the, the, the kind of the individuality of his play and that sort of thing. I can't think that you'd spend that higher pick on Andrew Thomas when you've just dealt a similarly talented left. That doesn't really add up to the ethos with which he, or the reasoning with which he got rid of Tunsil. I mean, I suspect there'd be, you know, there's going to be teams on the line wanting Justin Herbert or Jordan Love or Jay or whoever, you know, by the, you know, when, when all said and done, I think you could package that for more picks. If you've got a, if you've got a temporary pool of picks, which Miami does a temporary glut, like uh, in 2020 and 2021, which they'll, um, they'll have to work with what your, your, the ability that you have at that point is to start uh, fattening up your, your budgets in, in future years too, because that's what the Patriots do when they trade, 
you know, a second round pick for a future first or a third round pick for a future second. And they seem to do it every year, every other year, or, or they trade down um, and collect more picks. This is all it takes is one or two years where you've got a big enough budget that you're not just giving up the whole draft of that year. And then you can basically just keep this kind of going in perpetuity. And one of the, I mean, I've seen studies on this. New England Patriots don't have draft success because they're so good at hitting on picks. Okay. Yeah. They, they have draft success because they are working with a bigger budget than, than anybody else. And that's what they're, that's what they do. And I think that Steve Ross is very jealous of that approach and has been for a while. And he's been begging for that. And um, and they've resisted because, you know, Chris Greer, you know, his Minka Fitzpatrick pick was sort of the Vontae Mack no matter what. Um, yeah. <laughs> so – and now Vontae Mack's been traded. So, um, yeah, but one anyway, the, I, I think that's what their approach will be. One other thing that we might talk about in future weeks, probably not now, is that, you know, the, the quid pro quo to having all these picks is that, you know, we all hope that we nail them and, and pick five absolute studs in the first round and, and four absolute studs in the second round over the next two years. That will bring mm. up a very interesting situation in four slash five years' time if mm. they are all successful when it comes to contract time. Yeah, you know, you'll be pay, you'll be paying a hefty quarterback sum if Tua turns out to be the guy we all think he is, and then you might have four other first round draft picks who also want to get paid, and hopefully four second round draft picks who've all performed really well as well that you're going to want to keep on. So some big business decisions you know, coming down the pipe in terms of, you know, if these guys are successful and we do do our jobs properly, then we're going to have to end up paying them and make some fairly interesting business decisions about who stays and who goes. Yeah. Well, luckily, luckily our payroll, our cash payroll this year yes. is uh, as big as a gas station's payroll. I mean, it's, it's, so <laughs> yeah. they're saving a lot of money this year that they get to roll forward and fatten up future budgets with. So, um, so they're going to, they're going to have some extra room to play with in the coming five years five plus years uh because of this year i mean that's the idea that's the entire i think the point of this style of rebuild aka tanking um so yeah. i think that uh, that's that's important but you know one last thing to finish on tua uh, in particular because you know the family is going to be important and talking to tua and talking to his family is going to be important if if it comes down to them having to sell you know tua and the family and and everybody on miami as the number one pick and coming to Miami it becomes attractive if you have that many first and second round picks and you can say listen the idea here is we're going to build a team around Tua Tunga Bailoa like specifically mm -hmm. to tailored to his needs you need speed receivers you, you need a right tackle instead of a left tackle which I'm not con necessarily convinced of but it, whatever you need you know, that's what we're going to get. We're going to build around Tua Tonga Vilo. It's all going to be about, about that. And, um, and if that's the case, then I could see the family, you know, whatever the reputation of the Dolphins is at that point after tanking for a year, uh, it could be attractive. Yeah, and by the time that they do pick them, they will have a free agency class. Free agent class, absolutely. Exactly. Most of it. I exactly. was giving this a lot of thought the other day. I don't see how they draft three first-round picks this year. I think one is mm. one of them is traded. I think they take two first round guys, and I think one of those picks is probably traded for a player or for more picks. Mm. I, th I think that's what we're probably looking at. Just pick good college players. Do you know what I mean? Right. Just pick yeah, good right. college football players. You know, look at let's say you take two, but look, you know, Jonathan Taylor, 
Creed Humphrey. Yeah, Creed Humphrey. Oh, yeah. I watched an interview with him with Maria Taylor the other day. Creed Humphrey is a kid who, as he says, since he was eight years old, he's mm-hmm. been training to be a centre in the National Football League. Since he I was watched that same interview. <laughs> years, oh yeah, it was. You know, this is just pick good college ball players. You're stealing yeah, my thunder. That's the guy I want to bring up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What what we'll get? You know, same as as Biadash, the the, the Wisconsin mm-hmm. centre. Pick good college players. Jonathan yeah. Taylor is a really good college football player who will be a really good NFL player. And I'm, not, I'm not advocating spending a first-round pick on a running back, but there are a myriad of guys that we're going to get to for you guys over the next month, forthcoming months. Just pick good players. Don't take risks on guys. Don't take the guys that have all of a sudden appeared out of the blue and you know they end up... There's enough good college football players who've performed at a really good level in a really good conferences over a long time. Pick them. And maybe that's safe. But you know what? I'd rather safe than blow out. Do you know what I mean? Safe can work if you've already got to. <laughs> Absolutely. Safe doesn't work if you don't have to. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, on that note, that's it. There is no more. I hope you enjoyed this episode again. I promise you, we will have more sound from that interview. And thank you to Gridiron Magazine for the sound that they provided today. All right, that's it. There is no more. We will talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. Hey, this is Seth Levitt, who you may not know. And O.J. McDuffie. Who you definitely know. And we're getting ready to dive back into the fish tank. That's right, Drew. Season 2 of the Fish Tank Podcast right here on the 5 Reasons Sports Network kicks off on Tuesday, August 6th with our biggest catch yet. Hall of Famer Jason Taylor. I got the first hit in, and then he proceeded to, to grab my face mask. And he, I swear to God, I've never seen anybody throw so many uppercuts <laughs> in so little time. And he hit me in my stomach, my solar plexus, <laughs> and my esophagus. <laughs> but it was like it was like it was on a, like a boomerang. Like I just kept boomeranging. <laughs> but the whole time he was holding my face mask, and my head couldn't move. Hey, bobblehead! Like this was boomerang before boomerang. He was even out on phones. So don't miss JT, OJ, DJ Preach, and myself, and all new guests, and most importantly, more of the best Miami Dolphins stories that you've never heard. Exactly, Big Seth. We've got an amazing lineup of your favorite Dolphins, from guys I played with to guys I looked up to, and even some players you'll be cheering for this season. Hey, hey! Don't forget those of us who work behind the scenes. Yeah, hey, you too. know I won't do that, man, because the Fish Tank takes you where no other Dolphin podcast can with some of the funniest, wildest, and most interesting stories of what goes on with your favorite team, players, and coaches when the cameras aren't watching. You can find The Fish Tank on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you do your podcast listening. So subscribe and start downloading today. Thanks for diving in. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't 
don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 